Hello, and welcome to the Soundweavers podcast. Soundweavers explores the trials and tribulations of small ensemble musicianship through conversations with leading performers and composers. Today's episode features Castle of Our Skins. We hope you enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome back to the Sam Weavers podcast. As always, my name is Rosanna Moore and I am your very harping host. And today, my incredible co-host is the lovely, the wonderful, the amazing Adam Paul Cordell. Hey, Adam, how are you today? Hi, Rosie. Doing well. How are you? Oh, just dandy. Thank you very much for asking. So today, we have one of the incredible founders from Castle of Our Skins, Ashley Gordon. Castle of Our Skins was born out of the desire to foster cultural curiosity and is a concert and educational series dedicated to celebrating Black artistry through music. Now, I really, really love the name of this group and in doing my research I found that Castle of Our Skins comes from the celebrated poet Nikki Giovanni's poem Fenina. The poem encapsulates the sense of adoration and celebration for the very fabric that makes us who we are, our skin. So without further ado I'd like to introduce the wonderful and lovely Ashley Gordon. Hi Ashley, thank you so much for joining with us today. Oh it's my pleasure, thanks so much for having me. So let's get started with this. Can you talk a little bit about Castle of Our Skins founding and your mission? Sure. Uh, We currently are in our eighth season. And when I say we, I refer to uh, what I like to call the Coos crew, which includes visual artists, includes musicians, it includes dancers, uh, our our board, um, as well as myself and co-founder Anthony R. Green. Uh, So about eight years ago, Anthony and I were students at the New England Conservatory of Music in Boston. We uh, we connected, obviously, through music, as well as uh, being a handful of Black students at the school. He, being a composer and a pianist, me being a violist, ended up performing uh, together and collaborating together, wanted to find an opportunity to connect after our studies Uh, despite the fact that we lived on opposite sides of the states and uh, now live on opposite sides of the Atlantic. So the organization was a way to explore and support um, music, uh, support each other, explore other composers, other performers from the African diaspora, and have a way to provide a platform for our own sort of uh, curiosity that we're interested in, our own... um, agency as leaders, as artistic directors to have autonomy uh, and invite as many people as possible into that space, which includes all sorts of creatives 
um, from really all over the world now at this point, which is really exciting to have such a huge collaborative team uh, with really the no no foreseeable limit to what we can create. Awesome. Um, and as you alluded to, Castle for Skins is a it's a multifaceted collective of artists, which ranges from performers and composers to poets and uh, filmmakers and transmedia artists and lecturers and so on and so forth. Um, and so I'm kind of wondering, how did this comprehensive approach to celebrating the Black experience develop into what it has become? Sure. From our very first concert uh, eight years ago, we wanted to incorporate the voice. And yes, as a, as a vocalist, certainly, but also as the human voice, as a speaker. So um, Rosanna, you had alluded to the inspiration for our organization being Nikki Giovanni's poem and spoken word especially has always been part of every single performance. The very first concert we did include that poem by Nikki Giovanni as well as speeches from uh, Barack Obama, Martin Luther King, Martin Luther King Jr. to highlight for us a feeling of connection through love of self, through love of past and, and heritage, through love of future and a sense of, of connection with family, but it was very uh, central to us to be able to use music as a vehicle to express something larger than music and to have relevancy uh, to our, our, our place geographically, to our place um, spiritually, to, to where we want to be um, as a people moving forward in the future. Most of our programs, actually, I re would really say all of our programs, whether it's in, in a classroom or whether it's on a concert stage or some other location sort of in between, has really a central mission to use music and arts as a vehicle to provide that sort of connective point. So we're very community oriented, keeping our, our sort of eyes and ears open to uh, current conversations and how we can amplify them using whatever means possible, which is sort of why we, we love having this open um, access to all sorts of arts. Yes, music, but music and. Um, what is the best way to be able to, to find those connective points and, and share uh, in dialogue with each other? So I've been having a look on your Facebook page and I would love to know more about your Founders Chat series, again, with your co-founder, the lovely Anthony Green. I, can you talk a little bit about how you developed and launched this project and if where do you see this going in future? Sure. So short answer is the pandemic uh, was, was Pandemic passion projects. <laughs> pandemic passion projects. Um, and like, like, so many other groups and organizations and, and creatives, uh, we quickly had to realize that what we had spent a year and a half, two years planning, which was the end of our season, was just not going to happen. Um, and instead of holding on to holding on to that and trying to reinvent a wheel, we just said, you know what, let's let's start fresh. What can we create with what we have? So from from that. Uh, situation which took a long time to get to clarity there were many emotions prior to that clarity but what we ended up um, creating was an opportunity many different opportunities to allow other creatives in our cruise crew collective to have a platform so we wanted to uh, for instance have a poetry 
nightcap session, a little half an hour um, to close your evening with a, a glass of whatever you like with poets, um, some, of, some of our favorite locally and, and outside of Boston. Uh, we wanted to support composers, so we had a Black Composer Miniature Challenge encouraging composers. It ended up being 18 from the US, South Africa, Europe, and Canada to, to write 30-second miniatures for us. Uh, us being Anthony, uh, pianist, and myself, Ashley Violist. Um, and then the, this Founder Chat series, we wanted to highlight other uh, black leaders, ended up being uh, black women, most of whom were, were violists, ironically or not ironically <laughs> enough, violists taking over the world. <laughs> uh, so wanted to have conversations as, as fellow founders um, to, one, just, just learn, just as everything that we do, fostering our own curiosity and our own education, uh, but wanted to be able to use what was a very much a growing spotlight on Castle of Our Skins post George Floyd, wanted to use our spotlight to be able to really give give our digital stage to as many people as possible. So to as many composers through that uh, composer miniature challenge, to as many poets as we could, uh, to, to as many founders um, throughout the States as well as throughout Europe who we've had connections with and just want to amplify their work. So now now we're in our season for whatever that may, may be still with this pandemic uh, going on. Um, so we have thoughts of continuing the Founders Chat and I think with a lot of organizations, experimenting has led to new um, affirmations about what and how you're able to get across information and, and connect. So definitely we learned a lot from the Founders Chat series and would love to continue that. We're not quite sure how and in what form and also when uh, and revisit some of the other programs that we did uh, this summer. Yeah, I, I listened particularly to the um, interview you had with the Challenge the Stats group um, because there's a harpist on there and I was so excited. Um, but it's it's just really fascinating it was a wonderful resource and also just you two are so lovely to listen to when you're talking it's a great conversation to have so thank you yeah so i i want to talk with you a little bit about uh, another program that you've been uh doing the shirley graham dubois creative and residence program and um this is uh actually gonna i believe that this is your inaugural season with that and you're featuring Mm -hmm. tanya radzwa talangwa who's a vocalist and multi-instrumentalist composer and scholar um, who's connecting Zimbabwean and Western classical musics. So um, I I wanted to start by just asking you if you could talk a little bit about some of the projects that you're developing with her. Sure, yeah. Um, Before before I get into her, I can share a little bit more about the the program. We, over the past, um, I think even really from, from our very first season, have always wanted to create a platform for other people to engage, other other creatives, I should say, to engage. So our first season, we had an open call for works by, um, piano works by black composers that we can add to our series. We've since done proposals to composers, any uh, ethnicity, age, nationality, sexual orientation, etc., to write um, for a specific instrumentation that we would give on some specific aspect of black culture, whether it's uh, black writing, black visual art. We had many different and really creative ideas that, that came to mind that we were then able to commission and, and work with those composers to add 
uh, world premieres to our season. Uh, and then two years ago, we had a composer in residence, Brian Raphael uh, Neighbors, who is just blowing up all over <laughs> the world in Australia with, with Fulbrights and, and symphonic performances and world premieres and things like this. But he was our first composer in residence through, through the entire year. Uh, doing arrangements for us, original compositions, writing for our, our own blog, our Beauty in Black Artistry or Biba blog. Um, and then from, from that, that sort of evolution, we wanted to honor really the heart of what we do, which is exploring Black artistry through, through all disciplines. Yes, music, but really all disciplines. So we opened up a, a call for creative in residence, and we had maybe about 16 applicants ranging from filmmakers to musicians both performers and composers to multimedia artists to writers um, again from the states Canada from uh, Africa at, which was exciting and really interesting to get to know all of these people some of whom we had already relationships with some who were on the periphery some were just completely new um, which was really exciting. So it was a very difficult <laughs> decision to be able to to make, but we're really, really happy to have chosen Tanya Ratzwa-Twingwa uh, to work with us. Um, and she she is someone who has just so many ideas, which is it, it encouraging and inspiring uh, and sort of fuel for our own creative fire as an artistic team. So her first... Um, project is called Black Love, which um, is one that is all centered around self-healing, community, um, care for, for oneself as well as for community. Um, and so Tanya Radzwa as being a Mbira player, a scholar, a, a vocalist, educator, she has created um, basically a, a visual EP for, for original three original songs. Uh, and those songs all focus on, uh, again, the, the theme of, of, of love. Um, and she's collaborated with a fellow Zimbabwe movement artist to put together this visual EP, which will be uh, premiered um, November 13th through, through the 15th, will, will be that video premiere. In addition to that, she has put together a team to create um, a website called Kuropa, which um, in the Shona language, the Zimbabwe language, means to mend or to heal, again, very related to the whole entire concept. Uh, and it will be an interactive 3D uh, website where daily interactions mm. to teach you how to build your own altar space, one that is for your own personal healing and for your own personal uh, self-care, which is, is totally appropriate anytime, but certainly during multiple pandemics that were uh, experiencing right now a lot of appropriate timing I guess as as it relates to really devoting a full month um, for this and she she's also been super helpful in connecting with with connecting us with so many other artists uh, we have a, a black love market a virtual market where we're just inviting as many different black artists creatives and organizations that support black artists to um, offer their products at a, at a discount, at a Black Love discount, so to help show the businesses and the Black artists love. And she has connected me with so many Zimbabwe artists um, from, from really all over the country and all over the world. So mm. she, she is doing many things that are upcoming um, and continuing to do many uh, connective 
networking types types of things. Um, later on in the season, sort of at the end of the season in, in, in June, we're planning a, a project still very much in development with the Boston Lyric Opera, uh, who, who Castle of Erskines has collaborated with for uh, maybe about two or three years now at this point, to put together a musical narrative um, operetta, I guess, sort of a small opera, small in, in scale mm. and production, but not in concept. Um, and so she, she's helping curate and uh, write libretto and come up with concept design for this, uh, which will be a great capstone to our season. Um, and hopefully, fingers crossed, be able to be here in, in person with us in Boston for our uh, final project, um, all inspired by music from Africa to help curate that and to perform in that project. So there's there's a lot that she's doing, um, and a lot of it is 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 just amazing and awesome, and we're we're very excited. I just want to kind of ask a little bit about the background of a a residency program like this. Um, I, I mean, it's it's clear just how amazing the vision is, but how do you support something like this with? administrative aspect of things and how do you find the funding for something like this and Mm -hmm. yeah i mean funding for me is is so it's it's hard and it's also easy in some ways especially during this the racial pandemic right that we're having now we have gotten just a groundswell of support so many new people who who haven't been aware of castle of skins are are now um uh, sharing and supporting and doing bake sales and sales of this and doing a fundraiser and there's just there's just so much movement right now um, which, which is beautiful to see and we're we're internally thinking okay how can we keep this beyond this particular moment but how can we turn this into long-term commitment so that's something that we're constantly wrestling with but um, we we had this idea for a creative in residence and had advertised this uh, we've we've had long time, fans and I and I have to give them so much support and credit for being longtime fans and not there's an organization there's a time and a moment who where's the organization to to fund but longtime supporters Arlene and Larry Dunn um, who have really from from the beginning um, been in our in our camp in our circle uh, and they reached out which is sort of how a lot of my, my fundraising efforts happen people people come to me and I don't I don't approach but um, actually, they saw our, our composer series, our miniature challenge series, and they wanted to help support. When we um, had a conversation with them and told them about this other opportunity, they were like, oh, that's, that's great. Let's come together and, and we'll, we'll support, we'll make um, a contribution, we'll make it annual, we'll, we'll help fund this project, which is amazing. And, and through them, um, very much wanted to give acknowledgement to Shirley Grandpois. Um, du Bois uh, uh, and name it after after her who she herself was you know a poet and um, playwright and, and musician and uh, intellectual so so very much fitting in the Renaissance type of musician and creative that we would love to support and have in our in our series huge credit to uh, the Duns for for their support and um, belief in making this something that that can be sustainable for us, um, but most most of the time with other fundraising, the idea comes and then we write the grant or, or try to find the funding. Uh, there have been other times where, especially the current climate we're in right now, 
uh, people coming coming to us uh, and then having those mm-hmm. conversations, if I think about it, <laughs> if I can get to it, having those conversations to sort of tease out and say, well, these, this is sort of a suite of offerings that we have and ideas for the future. Does any of this resonate with you? Have a conversation. And it, it sounds like it's it's easier to find funding and, and support for something that are, that you already have a vision for. Mm-hmm. We, we've learned, especially with grant writing over the years, to not write, to not, to not shape a project based on a grant, but to allow mm-hmm. the grant to work for a project that we have. Um, as soon as we start mm-hmm. bending and twisting and, and uh, promising things that don't feel authentic, it just, it, it becomes that much harder to, to actualize, certainly that much harder to, to feel like we're um, genuine, <laughs> because obviously mm-hmm. we're, we're not if we're needing to cater to someone else. Um, but I think with us, it's been a, an affirmation to be able to think and develop with authenticity and have that be well-received financially and with audience. I think I think we're doing something right by by following our mission, which is to foster cultural curiosity and to um, build as we climb, uplift. There's so many principles: um, Ujama Ujima, collective responsibility, collective work and responsibility. Um, feeling like we have cooperative economics, like we are part of an ecosystem, and and my gain is to your benefit, and, and your gain is to my benefit. We we have a lot of these these attitudes which are grounded in in sort of an Afrocentric um, mindset, and I think that that resonates. Yeah, I I actually was wondering how you worked internally with regards to are you a cooperative uh, versus being a hierarchical. So that was that's actually really useful and really interesting to know. Castle of Oskins is clearly a very project-based uh, institution and you feature specific projects such as, as you mentioned, the upcoming Black Love Residency and also the Black Composer Miniature Challenge, which we've talked about both. Can you talk about how you take these ideas from uh, inception through to completion? Sure. I think that's probably one of the most fun things for me. Um, Adam certainly knows that I like to be organized <laughs> and I plan and <laughs> I think this is a Fiola thing. It really is a Fiola. <laughs> uh, yeah, so and, and we definitely share that. Um, I I I see and I was actually just chatting with it with another friend about this, but it, it is for me creative to uh, to to take an, an idea, something that is very abstract and make it tangible. And I think that concept really comes from my my youth. I was always writing. I wrote some children's books that I illustrated and I was drawing as a kid and um, just building stuff, finding things and building things, seeing seemingly disparate you know, scraps of, of stuff and like putting it together and making something artistic. Um, that for me was always really interesting to, to play with negative space and create something out of it. Uh, and I think that concept as an artistic director really, really applies, trying to hone in and refine. And also as, as a musician, you know, you, you take a look at a piece of paper and it's, what, it, what is this? And then you make it tangible through, through practice and through performance. That concept I think really applies and is really exciting for me. With Anthony, we'll bounce ideas off of each other of what we want to explore, whether it's season related, um, trying to focus on uh, more of the African 
diaspora as opposed to African-American specifically. So trying to expand and, and what research we can find, who we can find, what stories uh, to highlight. Um, things mostly do start in this sort of wide net research stage. Who do we hear about? What stories? Current political issues? If there's a, a book that's really engaging a concept uh, that we want to explore. Uh, and then from there, there's you know this kernel of an idea which grows and, and sort of expands. Um, I think it's also helpful for us to have a collective model in terms of the, the musicians and the artists that we um, involve, not so much in, in terms of the administration, but wanting, wanting to um, al- allow ourselves a full playground to play in. So if we are developing a project where it makes sense to work with um, a visual artist and a, a spoken word artist and a DJ and uh, capoeiristas and taiko drummers, then beautiful, that's the project, right? Um, likewise, if we want to work with a particular dancer from New York or we want to collaborate with a youth organization or do this residency and work with this professor, all of, all of that um, is 100% fair game because the, the concept in the project warrants it as, as it develops, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, and, and one other aspect that I'm really interested in with Castle Varskin specifically is um, the Beauty and Black Artistry blog, uh, which you referred to earlier. And I mean, that's been a very consistent aspect of the work that you've been doing. And um, I just wonder, how does the blog support and, and relate to the rest of the work that you do? Sure, yeah. Um, the blog is 100% curated by Anthony Green, uh, which is great. He lives in the Netherlands, um, and for him to have such an active voice, uh, certainly as a writer and as a curator, um, is great. So that's totally his his project. With fostering cultural curiosity uh, and also black artistry, it focuses on all sorts of genres, all sorts of conversations as it relates to architecture, as it relates to visual art, as it, re- as it relates to music, um, as it relates to uh, Juneteenth and in Kwanzaa, as it relates to just all, all sorts of all sorts of things. It's kind of a catch-all. Uh, there's interviews that, that are on there uh, of composers, of artists, artists that we've worked with, artists that we admire, um, other collaborators, etc. There are some video entries, I think, on there, some vlogs uh, to mm-hmm. talk about upcoming projects, to give a little bit more behind the scenes. Um, I, I think the, the series now weekly, so uh, 52 weeks, 52 entries a, a year, um, is, is one that helps to, to, again, just amplify as many voices, as many um, subject matters, as many, as many things as possible, and certainly as many timely things as possible. So we don't have to wait two, three months from now when we finally get to that concert, but it can be a really current topic and being, being able yeah, to be quite, quite relevant and quite open in our in our curiosity. I want to take the conversation towards the educational um, stuff that you've been working on, uh, and in particular the uh, educational workshops like the Build a Modern Day Spiritual. Um, they feature prominently in the work that you do. So I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about the goals that you have for these educational initiatives, and uh, if you could speak a little bit about whether you see these as an extension of your other projects, or if you see them as a, a, a separate, uh, unique entity of the things that you do. Sure, great. 
uh, for me, very much inter integrated, very much 100% um, part of what we do, and uh, more so the foundation of, of what we do. So for, for me, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if it's a concert or if it's an educational workshop, both are educational experiences. Just about everything <clears throat> that we program in a concert is going to be new to someone, and therefore it is my job to teach them why it's important, what's so interesting, what, what attracts me about it. And for, for, for me as well too, the, the educational foundation with workshops is, is so hugely important, especially with youth, to make sure that uh, there is cultural representation. Can't guarantee that in classrooms, um, but through, mm -hmm. through our interaction with them, we can at least showcase and highlight history, presence, potential future, Right uh, and and again in a creative way why why that is important to be able to see yourself mm -hmm. reflected in your own educational materials is hugely important right um, mm -hmm. so with our educational workshops we created uh, this original hour long interactive workshop focused on different compo different different um, people from Black history some of whom are composers uh, activists politicians. Um, uh, inventors, etc., to encourage our youth to be curious, to learn, right? There's a deep listening that, that's needed. There's interactive elements that help reinforce what you're learning. And hopefully at the end of the day, say, who was who that person again? Let me, let me Google it. Let me do some, do some more research. So uh, if we can plant a seed with any of these projects, whether again, they're on stage or off stage in a classroom or not, uh, the idea is that we want people to act on their curiosity, act on what they uh, now know. The Build a Modern Day Spiritual Project that you that you referenced is one that we haven't actually done yet. It's it's still in that concept phase. <laughs> so two years ago, we were collaborating with uh, an amazing theater company that that does plays. It's black and brown owned and operated in Boston called Front Porch Arts Collective, uh, and they were doing a play. Uh, about Roland Hayes, who has Boston roots and is just is an amazing figure, lyric tenor, just uh, amazing person. Go, go look him up. <laughs> go and foster your own mm -hmm. curious curiosity about Roland Hayes. Uh, so we um, did a, a project where we would perform spirituals, which was something that he very much um, promoted, as well as kind of give a, a musical narrative, a musical overview of, of his life. As part of that, we had wanted to do this educational project, working for the first time in a um, sequential sort of multi-week educational projects. A lot of the things that we do are hour long or a few days at a college, for instance, residency, but nothing that's sequential. So we were super excited to be able to finally have um, developed something that is is going even deeper with with youth and even deeper in creativity um, and got very, very close, but then again, you know, pandemic. So uh, we, we, yeah, we right. still have in concept what this would look like and taking the um, non-religious aspects of, of spirituals. Um, and I say that just because in educational systems, it's very tricky, very, yeah, tricky to navigate it's around. It's a little dicey, yeah. yeah. But there's certainly mm -hmm. so much in, in the allegories, certainly so much in the metaphors to be able to to pull from, um, and certainly the, the history of, of their origins, right, and their importance to be able to teach using that and for, for a lot of them having the idea of of you know visualizing 
it's associating hope. There is a, there is literally a place where I can go that is safe. Um, taking that concept and with that idea, what can we create that is very specific to 2020 or 2021, 2022, whenever we get the project off the ground. Just something completely uh, off topic. Just when I was uh, reading through your website a few days ago, I just want to say how much I love your term edutainment. Mm -hmm. I don't know if anyone else mm -hmm. has ever used that, but I think it's brilliant. It really yeah. tickled me. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I haven't, I didn't see it before we did it, but now everyone is saying it. It seems like it encircles in, in <laughs> Boston, which is great. I mean, I, I yeah. think it um, speaks for itself that it's, you know, ed educational, like you're going to learn something. And yeah. it's going to be fun, right. entertaining, and, and musical, and all sorts of things. So, yeah, the, the hybridity, I think, is very fundamental to what I, we do. I think it works really yeah. well. I just looked at it. Why have more people not done this? This is great. <laughs> We've asked many of our other groups how they are tackling racial inequality through their work at the moment. Now, this is obviously something that's really at the core of what Castle of Our Skins does. But I was wondering how have the recent events with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and uh, the entire Black Lives Matter movement this summer in particular shifted or changed your current initiatives, whether that be artistically or otherwise? Yeah, sure. Um, de definitely has weighed heavy on my head and heart as as a Black person, right? And it's uh, repeated trauma to to experience yet another um so per personally and and for my my board and my you know artists uh, majority of whom are, are are of color so just as a human note like it, it, it that has been hard um for for internally for uh, my, my board where we are going to have a retreat um coming up later this year to talk about our own internal culture to do our own assessment. Um, I, like any of, of my white fellow Americans, um, live in a culture that is racist. And so mm -hmm. what what can I do um, within, within this culture that we are all swimming in to um, be anti-racist and, and make sure that our, our values are? Yes, we're a black uh, organization, but it isn't as if we don't have conversations that, that, could, be, that could be had. So in any case, um, wanting to have have honesty with our board, our mission, our vision, our values, um, are there are there things that we could do? And I think that there there are. So I had alluded to before, celebrating Black artistry is as pretty much as broad of a tagline as we could come up with. And I think it, it works well, but I don't fully think that we have lived up to that. So for instance, um, majority of our works that we perform and, and a number of the collaborators are specific to this North American continent uh, and that is not representative of black artistry right that's not representative of the full diaspora so really trying uh, to be strategic and uh, intentional I should say about making sure that we are promoting as full a diversity of black artistry as it relates to the diaspora um, with black artistry, our background is in, in, in classical music, but that is certainly not representative of all black artistry. So really trying to think, how can we give the fullest spectrum with collaborations, with projects, with um, new developments um, to make sure that we are giving the fullest representation of, of what our mission says we do, which is to celebrate black artistry through music, 
that doesn't say classical music. It doesn't it doesn't specify uh, genre and discipline. So we we don't want to project a sense of um, hierarchy given our preferences, if that makes sense. So we we have thought about what perspective we're giving and per, and um, promoting how we can be better. Basically, is is as mm-hmm. the conversation and the thought that we have right now. How can how can we be better? Um, given this time and given the platform that we have. Ashley, I'm going to take it in a um, different direction. I, uh, <laughs> yes. First of all, I, I just want to say that we've known each other for 16 years now, which when I thought about that the other day, I was kind of, um, I just That's realized like how old I am. That's like half a lifetime for us, right? <laughs> <What>? <laughs> I know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, from the time that we've met, you've been amazingly supportive of colleagues. You've always been collaborative and you've been very mission driven. And um, I guess I'm interested to know a little bit about whether or not you found yourself drawn toward the type of career that you now have with Castle of Skins, or if you feel that there were specific experiences and decisions that led you to where you are today. Yeah. And and thinking about that, I, I do think the universe just like tectonic plates that kind of shifted things around without my knowing and I'm sort of standing here. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan these days, not necessarily me, you know, 10 years ago, but these days just thinking about process and allowing process to, to really be the product. Um, so in that, in that kind of vein, looking back at my own life, there's, there are definitely things that I found interesting and um, also things that I didn't find interesting and had uh, sort of discarded that I think really led me here. Um, one of which I had talked about before was was wanting to be autonomous and have agency in in the work that I'm doing. As a classical classically trained violist, there's such a, a pedestal, a high pedestal for being an orchestra musician, being a college professor, mm-hmm. which ni- neither one of those really resonated with me. Where I felt like I I could be fulfilled and yes, this is my calling. Um, so I, I very much, for, for decades at this point, wrestled with knowing that that wasn't what I wanted, but also knowing that that was kind of the expectation, or at least that was presented as being the, the option. Um, so when, when I made a, a stance to say, actually, chamber music um, is, is really engaging for me, and I, and I want to create something in there. Education is really engaging for me, but not in a public school setting, more in a one-to-one mentor-mentee or intimate small small group um, situation. I really enjoyed, um, as I shared before, creating things, whether it's concepts or whether it's music, um, having having the opportunity to develop, um, certainly as an administrator to develop, and then to see that actually take fruition, to take life is, is really engaging for me. And, and um, knowing that I've, you know, done things like that in high school back in high school where I was president of the recycling club and, and coming up with ideas and you know actualizing <laughs> it right and then at um, undergrad with the American Viola Society chapter organizing and putting things together that that was always sort of part of my strengths I didn't necessarily see them as strengths at the time it was more the, the means by which I get what I want <laughs> done um, but I see that now as being a strength that I can uh, refine and a muscle that I can you know work on um, and I, I also was really one 
that was interested in um, growing up in, in my background. My family is Jamaican and I would always ask probing questions, whether or not they were answered is, is another thing, but I, was, I would always ask um, questions and, and was curious. Uh, I read in, in elementary school, I remember I read all of the picture books that I could find on Martin Luther King Jr. in, in my library. And I was always just interested in, in history. Um, growing, growing older, um, after my undergraduate degree, I had a really amazing conversation with a life coach who I give so much credit to when I can, um, who, who really helped me understand that there were, there were things in my life that were, that were there, not by my choosing, but that were there, um, because it was sort of convenient. They just sort of happened. Uh, but those things were not ones that were helping me uh, marry and align my interests and efforts uh, and also my strengths. They, they were literally um, combative with, with each other and therefore combative with my goals. So uh, that was a hugely clarifying moment to then be able to start to uh, weed out things, say no to things, which took, you know, 10 years. <laughs> um, but to be able to... Um, Find, find ways to marry <clears throat> and uh, therefore amplify the, the goals and interests and strengths that I had so that I, that I could actually um, develop something that was encapsulating and fulfilling and fit my values um, and would, would sustain me, would give me energy. What is it that educational institutions need to be doing right now to train young musicians for the type of mission-driven work that you're doing with Castle of Oscar? Sure, that's that's a, a great question. Um, I I definitely am seeing more efforts now than when I was a student, which was like a decade ago at this point. Uh, so having representation, having um, and I've. I've been fortunate to do this coming into programs and sharing uh my, my story sharing sharing the journey of this organization uh so so literally being able to have uh a idea not certainly the idea but to know that this is out there this this career path and and you know it can be a viable option um so exposure definitely um being able to i think have um courses and and hold an equal space for opportunities to just explore and to ask questions. So um, I, I find in, in in some institutions there's uh, you know the, these sort of categories and ideas and concepts you need to have. So we're going to really refine and have refined these particular history and theory and um, excerpt class and pedagogy, etc. Whereas having a class that's more guided as like a coaching class and and i say this with um my institution where i'm teaching the laundry school of music as top of mind where they literally have a coaching department that is on par with your history and your your theory etc but it's really about why do more places not do this that's a really important I, thing you know and it's the the idea is what what who are you right. <laughs> who are you what are your values what are your motivation what interests you um, how, how do you think what you're learning now could could work? Are there are there um, things and interests and avenues that you that you see that could be altered and changed? Do you think you could be part of that change? I mean, just just literally having um, space, equal space, as part of your education to explore. Mm -hmm. That's really great. And going off the back of that. 
what advice would you have for young BIPOC musicians who want to pursue a career in music, whether that be classical music or just the arts in general? Yeah, I think having community is so important. Um, you may not find that community in an institution. Um, you, you may find a community, but it's not the community for you. But being very proactive, I think uh, there, there are, in, in the work that I have, have done, um, there are like-minded people out there. And the more that you um, speak your intentions, the more that you actively look, um, as opposed to sort of passively wait for things to come, the, the more you'll learn and discover and find and um, embrace, and also, most importantly, you know, get rid of um, in, in your search. So I think being being active that makes me think of an exercise video uh where it's like don't don't wait for the burn make it burn right <laughs> just just <laughs> the intention has to be there that you that you want that you want it yeah. uh and i and i think that um intrinsic motivation is just so huge for like r- literally for anything right and so for our final question i i, I want to ask you about uh, kind of the flip side of that question, which is um, what are some of the ways that people with various privileges, such as white privilege and male privilege, how can they better support efforts to improve equality and inclusion throughout the music world? Yeah, great, great question. I think um, I, I'm, I'm heartened by some of the efforts that I'm seeing, but I also want to make sure that again, motivation and intentionality is there. That recognizing it's it's not sort of like the tide where the tide, you know, you know, comes comes out and it makes space and then it fills it back mm-hmm. up again. You, you gotta the tide has to go and then you know that barrier needs to be there so that the space is held, mm-hmm. if, if that makes sense. So making sure that um, efforts and energies are are built with longevity in mind. It's not it's not fleeting. It's not faddish. Um, it it will be a cycle like like the tides, if there is not that intentionality to to hold and literally make and preserve mm-hmm. that that kind of space. Um, it is also in thinking about um, anti-racism and Ibrahim Kendi, who is uh, now at Boston University, so so very heavy in, in local news, but certainly national news. Um, thinking about anti-racism as being a constant. It's not a, a. It is not your normal, or perhaps I should say, it's not in your normal habit. To uh, relinquish space, uh, relinquish dollars, relinquish time, so that other people have space, time, and dollars. Uh, but like any other habit, it is one that can be exercised and uh, developed. So, treat treating it like it is something that is to be developed. I think is a is a healthy mindset as opposed to it's developed, it's ready, it's done um, kind of an attitude. So. With that, uh, we have reached the end of the interview. So I just want to say thank you so much for talking with us. My pleasure. Thanks again for having me.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Soundweavers podcast. If you enjoyed our show, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and most other major podcast platforms. We hope that you'll follow us on Facebook and Instagram at SoundweaversCast, and on Twitter at SWChamberCast, where you'll get episodes as soon as they drop, show notes, and regular updates. This podcast is hosted by Rosanna Moore and engineered by Blair Kerner. I'm your producer, Adam Paul Cordell. Our theme music was composed by Evan Henry and recorded by the Soundweavers team. The music you heard in today's podcast was composed by Inkero Okoye, arranged by Anthony Green, and performed by Castle of Our Skins. On behalf of the Soundweavers cast, see you in two weeks.